1: First of all, a big shout out to Dave Kelly, a regular listener from Iowa who really enjoys Frank Lovejoy's portrayal of Randy Stone, a nighttime reporter for the Chicago Star on Nightbeat. Uh, he was always looking for human interest stories. He met an assortment of people, most of them with a the problem, many of them scared, and sometimes he was able to help them. Sometimes he wasn't. It's generally regarded as a quality show, and it stands up extremely well, does Nightbeat? Frank Lovejoy was a powerful and believable actor with a strong delivery, and his portrayal of Randy Stone as tough guy with humanity was perfect. The scripts were excellent, given that they had to cover much in a short time, and there was a good supporting cast along with orchestra and sound effects, too. So here's the episode of Night Beat entitled, Girl in the Park.
2: Night Beat.
3: This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start many different ways. This one started, strangely enough, with the flame of a match whose feeble glow lit up a lightened face in the darkness, a frightened face twisted by an agonizing fear
2: of death. Night beat starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone.
3: The night is a thief, some poet once wrote, that steals the colors from the day. It's kind of pretty if you like words, but for my dog, they're not exactly true. Because there are colors at night. The burning red of passion, the angry green of jealousy and the ugly, terrifying black of fear. This was one of those nights when pickings were slim. I'd cover the town from Henry C's bar in the Mart, out to Hyler's on the North Shore and back downtown again with nothing to show for it. I was taking a shortcut through Lincoln Park to pick up my car. At that time of night, the park was pretty deserted, except for this girl walking up ahead of me Not a bad silhouette, I might add, against the distant light. We were about halfway through the park when suddenly she stopped and threw herself onto a bench at the side of the path. There was something almost desperate about the way she did it. I ran up to her. Excuse me, are you all right?
4: Yes, I'm all
3: right. Well, I thought maybe you were sick or something.
4: I told you I'm all right. Will you please let me alone? Oh,
3: now look, lady, it's not what you think. I, uh... Well, this park, at this time of night, it's no place for a girl to sit around by herself.
4: I don't need any help. Just go away. Oh,
3: sure, sure. I'll get lost. I can see you're all right. Only you don't mind if I just sit here and smoke a cigarette before I go.
4: It's a public park. I don't care what you do. Thank you.
3: You care for a cigarette? No.
4: Of
3: course, in order to really enjoy a smoke, you've got to have a match first. (laughs) I said in order to enjoy a smoke, you've got
4: to... I heard you. Here.
3: Thank you. Here. Keep the book. No, no, you better hang on to these. I won't need them. Well, you might need them later tonight.
4: After tonight, I won't need anything.
3: Oh, now, wait a minute. That's no way to talk. The only time you're not gonna need anything, sister, is after you're dead.
4: Why did you say that? What? That about being dead.
3: Well, no reason. Why?
4: Because after tonight I will
5: be.
3: The girl jumped up and started running. Here was a kid that was afraid. Afraid of death or afraid of life. But then isn't everybody. I turned the matchbook over and looked at the ad on the cover. Penguin Club. A little all-night jump and jive place over on Clark Street. That's one I've been missing lately. On a hunch, I ambled up North Avenue in that general direction, turned up Clark a ways, and there it was. It was good to get inside out of that wind.
6: Check your hat and coat, mister?
3: No, thanks. I'm just looking around.
6: Can I get your table? It's almost the end of the
3: floor show. Well, anywhere in the back will be all right. Okay. The hat check girl, hostess or whatever she was, walked me through the bar to the edge of the main room. And then I stopped and really did a take. Out in the middle of the dance floor under a little baby spot singing in front of a five-piece band was Little Miss Desperate from the park.
6: Nice voice, don't you think?
3: Yeah, yeah. Who is she?
6: Oh, that's Fanny. Van Fowler. have you been in here before?
3: Not for quite a few months.
6: Of course, she hasn't got much experience yet.
3: From out of town, hmm?
6: Someplace over in Wisconsin. Not bad looking, huh? Mm. In everything. Hey, what's wrong with her? I
5: don't know. I can't. Well, how do
6: you like that? Come on, folks.
5: Come on. Let's give the little girl a great
3: big hand. Nothing like a real
5: sad song to wind up a real sad
7: act. Especially
5: for a real sad tomato type. (laughs) Tomato. Nah, 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 nah. Tom. Hey, guys
3: and girls, get out of here. Come on. Hiya, Peggy. You got some alive one, huh? Hello,
6: Tommy. <laughs> this is Tommy
3: Mason. Ain't he the one? Yes, yes, he's quite the one, all right.
6: Gee, Tommy, you, you sure covered up with Franny, all right?
3: Never let down. Keep him going all the time. That's show business. You know how it is, mister. Oh, yes, yes. I've <laughs> heard. The show must go on. It's a new yeah, thing. you got to keep him <laughs> laughing. <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs> I'm a mystery. He's this way all the time. What a joker. Now, oh, uh, look, about that girl. Franny?
3: Yeah, Franny. What seems to be the trouble? Well, that's hard to say, pal. Maybe she just found out she ain't no Dinah Shore. Ain't she, Shore, ain't. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Tommy, you killed me. Uh, seriously,
3: fella.
2: <laughs>
3: fella, why would a girl break up that way in the middle of a number and start to cry?
2: Ah, uh, could be she got a cinder in her eye. But just to make sure, I'll go ask her. See you
6: later, Tommy. Come on, fella. How's it about buying a girl a drink? Oh,
3: sure, sure, in a minute. Um, about this Franny.
6: Look, do we have to talk about her? I, I thought you came in here for some fun.
3: Maybe I get my fun wondering about people. What time's the next floor show?
6: Next one's at two, then four. Oh, no,
3: they're not kidding about this all-night business.
6: And still another one at daylight.
3: She's singing all of them?
6: How should I know? She missed most of the 12 o'clock show. Just got here for that last number.
3: Any idea where she lives?
6: Remember a house in house on around Erie Street? Know the number? 391... You know, you ask an awful lot of questions.
3: Well, that's my business. I'm a reporter, Randy Stone.
6: I might have known it. Look, you're, you're not going to bother her tonight, are you? Of all nights? Tonight? This is the night that Charlie Dane is being executed down at Joliet.
3: What's that got to do with her?
6: Well, how would you feel? Look, Mr. Stone, she's human. This is the night her boyfriend's going to die. <laughs>
3: I went up to the front of the bar to a phone booth and called the paper. There was something about this in the back of my mind somewhere. Something I ought to remember, but couldn't. I had the girl on the board put me through to Gabby in the library.
2: Library? Oh,
3: hello, Gabby. This is Randy. Yeah,
1: Randy.
3: Now, what have you got on the Charlie Dana case?
1: Still a little early, Randy. Execution's not set until one thirty. No, no, I
3: mean old stuff.
1: Oh, I got the file right here, Randy. Dug it out earlier for background. Good.
3: Anything on a girl named Fran Fowler?
1: Yeah, let's see. Charlie Dana. Small-time gambler. Killed a guy named Donnelly.
3: Oh, yes, yes. I remember that. A gambling beat. Execution originally set
1: for November, but he got a couple of months stay. Oh, here she is, Fran Fowler. Singer in a nightclub was... Supposed to be his alibi, but the D.A. blew her up on the witness stand. She admitted she wasn't positive, but when she'd been out with the guy...
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. I knew it was something. Anything more? Oh,
1: details, Randy, details. Okay,
3: Gabby, thanks. I'll catch up with you. Oh, Mason. Excuse me, were you waiting to use the phone? Uh, No, I was uh, waiting to talk to you. Why, certainly, but this time, no jokes, if you don't mind. I'm expecting a headache. (laughs) You're not funny, Stone. Who are you talking to? Well, isn't that uh, kind of my business? Uh, Peggy says you're a reporter. Yes, of a sort. You were asking about Fran, where she lived. That's right. You've got to let her alone, see? You printed enough about her. Uh, just a minute, Mason. Those are my lapels that you're hanging to. Peggy shouldn't have given you Fran's address. I don't want you bothering her. I said let go of my lapels, funny man, or something's liable to explode in your face. Peggy. Now you stay out of my way or I'll ruffle that shiny hair. Where are Where you going? Say about a cinder in a lady's eye.
2: You're not going to see her. I won't let you. Can't you see
3: this whole thing's driving her crazy? Tommy, believe me, I'm not interested in harming her or anyone. I'm just a guy trying to do a job. If you'll step out of my way... You're not
5: going there. I won't let you. I won't let you. Sorry, if you ask for
3: it. My, my, that's a real nervous fellow. Now that he'd made such an issue out of it, going around to see Fran follow is a definite must on my schedule. I picked up my car and drove over to Erie Street. 391 wasn't much different from any of the rest of the rooming houses on the block. I got the number of her room from the mailbox and started down the dingy corridor to Room 8. I knocked at the door, but there was no answer. I knocked again, and then I smelled gas. Hey, anyone in there? Miss Fowler! Fran! I put my shoulder to the door, and the flimsy lock snapped open I rushed into the gas-filled room, holding my breath until I could smash open the window and let in some air. And then I saw Fran Fowler, the girl from the park, lying across the bed. And on the table beside her, one of those two burner gas stoves with both jets wide open. I turned them off and started shaking the girl. Miss Fowler, Franny, come on, get up. You gotta get out of here. Look, I'm gonna have to carry you.
4: Put me down.
3: You little fool, this room is filled with gas.
4: My, my purse. Where? On the table. (laughs)
3: Okay, I've got it. Fine thing with a gun in it. Give
4: that to me. Outside,
3: baby, outside. It was six seconds flat when we hit the sidewalk in the fresh air. I put Fran in the front seat of my car and then ran around and climbed in behind the wheel. I headed out to Sheridan Road along the lake. The cool, clean air felt good in my lungs and I could see Fran drinking it in, realizing now how close she'd been. I didn't make her talk until we were a long way out of town. Then I pulled over to the beach side of the road and killed my motor. We, uh, seem to keep bumping into each other in the strangest places tonight.
4: I, I guess I should say thanks. No,
3: no, not at all. I'm the one who should say thanks. I still haven't returned your matches. Please don't make fun of me. No, I'm not. You see, I know now who you are.
4: Charlie Dana's girl. Why don't you say it?
3: In my book, you're just a kid i met in the park.
4: What time is it?
3: It's quarter to two. Then... Yes, it's probably all over by now. Like me to turn on the radio and...
4: No. No, I don't want to hear about it.
3: You must love him an awful lot.
4: Love him? I despise him.
3: Despise But still you were willing to alibi for him on a murder charge?
4: I wasn't. I, I told him I wasn't sure of the time I was out with him, but... He made me say it was the exact hour when the man was killed.
3: Didn't you realize you might have been perjuring yourself?
4: I didn't lie, I just didn't remember. It might have been like he said. When you're not sure, what else can you do?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you happen to get mixed up with him?
4: I, I didn't know anybody when I first came here. I was lonesome.
3: And he was nice to you?
4: He was. A lot more decent than most of the men who want to take you out when you're working in a club.
3: And why do you hate him now?
4: I didn't know what he did and... A lot of people gamble. I didn't think too much about it. And we got to going out evenings between shows at the club on my nights off.
3: And the killing happened when you and he were supposed to have been out someplace together?
4: That's what he said. He wasn't arrested until a few weeks after the, the trouble. I couldn't remember if I'd been with him during that particular time or not.
3: Well, it's all over now. You did what you had to. That's about all any of us can do. But you got to forget about it. Put it out of your mind. There's nothing more to worry about.
4: Oh, that's just it. You don't understand. There is. What are you talking about? He promised. He promised, and I know he'll keep his promise. You promised what? I... I want to see him in prison. In
3: the death house? I
4: had to. I wanted him to understand, but he said I tricked him.
3: What? By telling the truth on the witness stand? He said
4: I double-crossed him, and, But now he... He didn't care.
3: Why would he say that?
4: He said he didn't care because... the night he died... I would die. And I'm afraid.
2: You are listening to Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. <laughs>
3: This was real. This was no act. The sound she made would tear you to pieces like some pitifully frightened animal who'd lost everything in the world. I let her cry it out. After all those months of strain, she'd have to get it out of her system.
4: He said the night he died, I died. Sure,
3: sure. So you were scared. Who wouldn't be? But don't you see? That's just a cruel boast made by a cheap hoodlum who's trying to hurt you, make you feel responsible for his own plight. But
4: he meant it. I know he did. Well,
3: maybe he did at the time, but you've got nothing to worry about now. You had nothing to do with it. He paid for his own crime. Now he's dead, and you're still alive. He'll
4: keep his promise. How
3: can he? He's dead.
4: I I, I know you think I'm crazy. No,
3: no, 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 no. But has anyone really tried to harm you?
4: Oh, but this... This wasn't the night he was supposed to...
3: Yes, I know, The execution was originally set for November.
4: It was that night in November. I hadn't been afraid before. I thought it was like you said, because it was bitter. But all that day I was upset. I told them at the club I couldn't work, and late in the afternoon I got a note from Peggy saying why didn't I go out to her cabin at the Dunes for a couple of days. Nobody would bother me, no reporters, and I could get a good rest. So I drove out there that evening. It was quiet. Nothing around. Just empty sand dunes and her cabin all alone on the edge of the lake. I, I-, I called Peggy at the club to let her know I got in that. Oh, hello, Fran. Where are
6: you calling
4: from? Why, from your place.
6: My apartment?
4: No, your cabin. At the dunes? I wish I well of you, Peggy, to let me come out here. Well, uh, of course,
6: Fran, you're welcome to use the place, but I, I don't quite know what you mean.
4: Well, your note this afternoon telling me to come out here.
6: I didn't write you any notes.
4: Oh, come on, Peggy, you did. You even told me where the key would be under the flower pot.
6: But, kid, that's where we always keep it. Everybody knows
4: that. Peggy, I...
6: I... Now, don't worry about it, kid. One of the girls probably sent you the note and just hasn't had a chance to
4: tell me about it yet. I should have thought of it myself no. in the first place. No, wait, Peggy. I'm
6: scared. Well, what in the world Do You remember
4: what I told you about what... But Charlie said the last time I saw him... It was about tonight that he said... When he died, I... Granny, now
6: got it before you drive yourself crazy, Peggy, back. I'm all alone and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Granny, you, you've got to hang up right away. You shouldn't be out there all alone
4: tonight. Get in your car and come back to town
6: as fast as you can. I'll, I'll
4: wait for you here. All right, Peggy. All right. I hung up the phone... and ran out of the house to my car. I turned on the ignition key and stepped on the starter. It wouldn't start My car wouldn't start I looked at the gas gauge Empty Somebody had drained the gas out of my car I got out in a panic and started toward the highway But there was a car out there Parked behind a big sand dune I turned and ran back to the house It was like some crazy frightening nightmare I didn't know what I was doing, but Somehow I managed to get inside and lock the door. And then suddenly I was at the telephone. Operator? Operator, answer me. Operator, you've got to answer. I want the police. Operator, please help me. Someone. Operator! It was no use. The line was dead. While I was outside, someone had pulled the wires away from the wall. Crawled over to the window and looked out to the highway. There was a car out there. Its lights were on. But as I looked, they went out. And now I was alone. In the dark. With him out there. I must have passed out. When I came to it was morning and, and Peggy was there. She and Tommy had driven out after the club closed to, to find me.
3: But you see, you didn't die that night. But neither did he. Could have been your imagination, you know, this man in the car. No,
4: no, no. The news about this day of execution was on the radio. The man in the car must have heard it and gone away.
3: Did you call the police? They
4: didn't believe me. Just because I'm a nightclub singer, they said I was trying to get publicity.
3: How about the car not starting and the telephone being dead?
4: According to them, my car was just out of gas and... I must have pulled the telephone wires off the wall myself.
3: In the panic you were in, you could have. But
4: I didn't. I tell you, I didn't. All right,
3: all right. Anyway, it's tonight that we're concerned with.
4: I don't know what to do. I I just don't know what to do.
3: Well, if it's true, this fear you have, you've got to find it out tonight. If you don't, it'll haunt you the rest of your life. Oh, I know, I know. But how? We've got to go back to your room.
4: Oh, no, I'm afraid. I'll
3: be with you. i still got your gun, remember? By the way, what were you going to do with that?
4: I... I didn't have the nerve to use it, even on myself.
3: Well, if anything is going to happen, it'll happen tonight. Not tomorrow or any time after that, but tonight. We'll go back to your place now and wait until it's daylight. I drove Fran back to the rooming house on Erie Street. There were no lights on anywhere in the building. We tiptoed down the empty corridor to Fran's room, listened at the door a minute, and went in. The door closed all right, but it wouldn't lock. I must have sprung it when I forced the door. We settled down and waited. For what? Once I thought I heard steps on the sidewalk far out front. It was that still. And then I did hear steps slowly coming down the hall.
4: There's someone... in the hall. Keep it. No, turn Okay.
3: Go ahead, kid. Go ahead. You got it coming.
4: I'm sorry, I'm all right. No.
3: Nothing to be sorry about. I was kind of scared myself. It's a funny thing about fear. It's catching. Look out the window. I...
4: It's almost light.
3: And this all night has gone for good. You see? It was all in your mind. Things you were frightened of. It was nothing, really. You won't be afraid if I go now.
4: No. I've caused you an awful lot of trouble. Oh no, you
3: cut the howdy. You'll get me going. And
4: the kids at the club, I, I guess I should go back there and let them know I'm all right.
3: But the doctor ordered for you is a little shut-eye. I'll stop by on my way and give them the word. Good night. Good night. Oh, here's your gun. You might want to pawn it for a couple of pair of nylons. Yes, a real nice tomato type tomato, as the funny man of the club would say. On the way over, I got thinking about him and that girl, Peggy. Come to think of it, that was one point Fran had forgotten to clear up for me about the note that sent her out to Peggy's cabin at the Dunes that night. Yeah, my mind wouldn't let go of that. When I got to the club, it was daylight and they were folding up the joint and Peggy was sitting alone at the bar.
6: Well, you got a nerve coming back here after... How's your boyfriend? He's not my boyfriend. It's a
3: figure of speech. Where is he?
6: He just left.
3: Okay, I'll settle for you.
6: If you don't mind, it's a little late for small talk, mister.
3: Okay, I'll give it to you fast. It's about that note you wrote to Fran Fowler last November on the night Charlie Dana was supposed to die.
6: What note?
3: <laughs> a little late for small talk, remember?
6: I don't know what you're talking about.
3: You don't know anything about a note inviting Fran to stay out at your place at the dunes?
6: I told her. I didn't know who wrote it.
3: So were you telling the truth?
6: Yes. Yes, I was.
3: Okay, okay. Maybe you were. But you found out later who wrote it, didn't you? No, I... Now, tell me the truth. Or would you rather tell the police?
6: All right. I did find out, but it wasn't like you think. Well, who was it? Tommy. Tommy Mason.
3: Tommy Mason? The funny man? His idea of a joke, no doubt. A hilarious joke that might have scared a poor kid to death.
6: No, no, you're wrong. It wasn't a joke.
3: Well, then why? Why did he do it?
6: Because he's in love with her. He made me swear I wouldn't tell her. He he wanted to wait. Until the time when she needed him, and and then he'd tell her himself.
3: Until she needed him? That's... How is he going to make her need him? Use a condemned murderer's empty threat to frighten her out of her sanity so she'd need him? Is he crazy?
6: He is where Fran's concerned. Where is he? I don't know. He's been like a maniac all night since you left here. After every show, he's gone over to Fran's place looking for her. He's crazy, jealous.
3: Jealous? Of whom?
6: Of you. He thought she was with you.
3: What if she were?
6: This was the night. This was the night. He was sure she would need him and instead she turned to you. Don't you see?
3: Yes, I do now. Thanks. It was only about a half mile to France, but it seemed more like 20 miles until I turned off Clark up Erie Street and slammed into the curb. There was only on the street... I was hoping he'd walked and I'd pass him on the way, but there was no one. I ran down the narrow hall, not daring to think what I'd find, and I flung open the door. <gasps> Are you alone? Well, you...
4: you're frightened. Are you me. alone? Well, yes, I've been sitting here since you left. I'm too tired to undress. Come
3: on, let's get out of here. Grab your coat. But
4: Never where... mind,
3: never mind, never mind. I'll tell you on the way. I shoved Fran out the door and we started cautiously back down the hall. We got about halfway when I grabbed her arm. The front door was opening slowly, and a man made a dark silhouette against the gray light of the dawn. It was the funny man. The man with the slick, shiny hair and the permanent smile and the fast jokes. Only the smile was gone, and he had a gun in his
4: hand.
2: Keep coming. Keep coming. We
3: started towards him slowly.
6: Tommy. Tommy,
4: it was you. You who were going to kill me.
0: You didn't know. You didn't know that I had a hard crew just like Charlie Dana did.
4: Tommy, you never told me.
2: You never let me. You didn't need me. You would have laughed at me like you laughed at my jokes.
4: It couldn't have been you at the dunes that night.
2: I followed you out there.
4: And then drove back to the club. No, Tommy, no. you were
2: lonesome, but you didn't need me. You needed Charlie Dana. I thought if you were afraid, you'd need me. And then you were afraid, but still you didn't need me. But I would make you need me. I'd make you.
3: Step by step, we moved closer.
2: Keep coming.
3: I could see his face twisted with jealousy and hate, his eyes wild, as though a spark might make him explode.
2: And tonight, when you were afraid and should have needed me, you didn't. You turned to him. Tommy, please. But now you need me. Now that I have my finger on this trigger, you need me more than you've ever needed anyone in your life. You need me. You need me, Fanny. You need me.
5: Say it. Say you need me. I, I can't shoot I can't
3: shoot He started to shake and I ran for to grab his gun Look right. out Drop it, drop it It's all right I've got the gun I, I can't is, is he hurt? Not to what he will be Get up, funny man No Don't be too
5: hard on him he didn't realize.
3: No, no, I I guess maybe he didn't. It's funny, isn't it? You never really know what's going on in some of the best combed heads. Well, that's the way it goes. A little later than usual this morning. The day shift has already moved in and let the night crew wander off to their own private little beds. Well, at least I got to see the sun come up. And here I sit, still trying to make it all add up. But no matter how I figure it, the only answer I get is... you never know about people. <laughs> but bless them, maybe that's why we love them. See that man walking towards you with a smile on his face... What's he smiling about? Or is it just so you won't notice how he's screaming inside? <laughs> Ooh, trouble with me is I haven't had my coffee yet. Copy, boy.
2: Nightbeat, a dramatic series stars Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone... Beat is edited by Larry Marcus and directed by Warren Lewis. Music by Frank Wirth. The part of Fran was played by Joan Banks. Paul Dubov played Tommy. Others in the cast were Georgia Ellis, Ken Christie, and Carol Richards. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Rock Bottom, released by Warner Brothers. Throughout the week, NBC brings you the best adventure mystery dramas on the air. You'll hear action-packed, fast-moving plots to hold your interest right up to the smashing climax on such thrilling programs as Big Town, Mr. District Attorney, The Big Story, and Dragnet every week on most of these NBC stations. On Dragnet, you'll hear documented cases from the Los Angeles police files. The Big Story brings you true tales from the front pages of America's newspapers. Mr. District Attorney, the champion of the people, takes you through an exciting episode in the conviction of a criminal... And tomorrow night on Big Town, you'll hear crusading editor Steve Wilson crack down on the forces of evil. For the best high-tension dramas, hear NBC's great mystery and adventure programs. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. The stories that come out of the shadows to find their way into Nightbeat.
1: Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents... The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah.
8: The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Peary is The Great Gildersleeve, Slave, written by Leonard L. Levinson. Let's visit our friend, the great Gildersleeve, who's been long noted for his easygoing disposition. In fact, his disposition was so easygoing and finally went. Uncle Mort's face has been getting longer and his temper shorter, and he's starting to throw his weight around with unpleasant results everywhere it's landed.
9: Oh my goodness, Marjorie, I'm late to the office again.
10: Oh, good morning, good morning Uncle Mort. Uh, good
9: morning. All right, I'm am I supposed to starve around here? Where's breakfast? Bertie, breakfast.
8: Yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, what do you start off with? Grapefruit, cantaloupe, strawberries, orange juice.
9: What's the trouble? Don't the stores still sell prunes?
8: Oh, I thought you were sick and tired of
9: prunes. Whatever gave you that idea.
8: Oh, yesterday morning you flung yourself out of the house saying you're fed up, and I asked Leroy what the trouble was, and he says you full of prunes. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, folks,
10: I gotta hurry to school
9: Yeah, come back here, young man School doesn't begin again till next September
10: Just my luck Oh, (laughs) what am I saying? Now, Uncle, why don't you sit down and eat the nice egg Bertie's fried for you That's
9: what I'm trying to do Bertie, what is this, a fried egg or the stopper out of the kitchen sink?
8: It's an egg, Mr. Gillsleeve, and it was cooked It wasn't
9: cooked, Bertie, it was vulcanized (laughs) I give up Just wrap it up, and on my way downtown, I'll drop it on a scrap rubber pile. (laughs) By George, I'd like to slap a Jap in the map with this scrap. (laughs) And there's going to be a war in this house, unless I start getting fed properly around here.
8: My, my, he's worse today than he was yesterday when he poured the coffee in his lap and then spilled the cream on his vest, thus dissolving the sugar in his pocket. Yeah, I
10: wonder what's wrong with Uncle lately. He's been as jumpy as a kangaroo on a pogo stick. Yes. Poor Uncle Mort. You mean poor us. We's the one he's doing his jumping on. You know, I think I have an idea what's troubling him. Gee, what is it, sis? Uncle Mort hasn't any love life. Oh, for corn's sake. Be serious, can't you, Marge? But I am serious. If he could only get excited about some woman, it might calm him down. Oh, you mean he ought to get on himself a wife? What does he want a wife for? He's got Marge to sew on his buttons, and you to cook for him, and Judge Hooker to fight with. What more could a guy want? (laughs) I don't necessarily mean a wife, Leroy, but some attractive woman he could get interested in. Then he wouldn't have time to be irritable or critical. At least we could experiment. Mm, Okay. But who'll we get to turn on the glamour? Well, how about Mrs. Salisbury-Twitchell? Nope. Her face has had too many retreads. <laughs> well, what do you say to Miss Rosita Callahan? Oh, she's got a pen like a rabbit. Now, wait a minute, brother. Who's going to fall in love with this girl, you or Uncle Moore? Well, gee, I just giving you a man's viewpoint. Well, who would you pick up? What about Amelia Hooker? Judge Hooker's sister? Sure, she's awfully nice and jolly, and she makes the swellest cakes and candy. Yeah. she's a high school teacher. Is that so? What does she teach? Oh, she teaches girls domestic silence.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Gee, this will be a cinch.
8: <laughs> I don't know about that. You can't make a silk purse in a pig's eye. <laughs> <laughs> now, building up a romance for y'all, good morning ain't gonna be no picnic. Picnic?
10: That's it? We'll have a picnic on Sunday and invite Judge Hooker and his sisters. Uh-huh, and I'll make some of my famous potato salad. that ought to bring Judge Hooker. And I'll ask Amelia to bake one of her luscious cakes. That should bring Uncle. Yeah, and it'll probably bring all the ants, too.
9: <laughs> no, Marjorie, this is Sunday. The day I rest my feet, I refuse to go on your picnic.
10: But why not, Uncle Maud?
9: Well, you've heard about nature lovers, haven't you? Of course. Well, I'm a nature hater. <laughs> Rocks, skunks, snakes, bees, swamps, mosquitoes. You can take all of them and give them back to the Boy Scouts and tell them to give them back to the Indians.
10: Oh, but Uncle Maud, think of all the fun we'll have at Underwood Falls.
9: It, what fun? Grinding the rubber off our tires?
10: No, we're saving rubber. We're taking the excursion train.
9: We? We? Who all's going on this pickle and potato salad promenade?
10: (laughs) Well, it's Leroy and me and Judge Hooker and his sister. Judge
9: Hooker, yeah. Is Amelia Hooker going, too?
10: Mm Mm-hmm. She's baked the most delicious devil food cake. For you, incidentally.
9: For me? But why devil's food?
10: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's because she thinks you're such a handsome... Devil.
5: Uh,
9: handsome devil. Uh, who me?
10: Oh, Uncle Mort, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's the first time you've laughed in a week. Huh? Now come on along. You'll have fun.
9: Marjorie, I told you how I feel about picnics.
10: Well, strange how Amelia thought you were an outdoor man. She said that you remind her of <laughs>
5: Gary Cooper. <laughs> What's
9: so funny about that? Amelia's entitled to her opinion. Gary Cooper, eh? Gosh, I don't know what to say. hmm, Gary Cooper, huh? Well, I don't know.
10: Oh, why don't you join us, Uncle? We're leaving on the 10 o'clock.
9: Gary Cooper, huh? Excuse me, partner, would you mind stepping away from that there mirror? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, I see what she means by Gary Cooper. Amelia was talking about the wide open spaces.
10: Beautiful.
9: Mighty pretty country hereabouts, ma'am. The air is so fine and clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You just say the word, Miss Amelia, and I'll climb that large tree and bring you down some eagle eggs.
10: Oh, no, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve.
9: Well, then, can I fetch you some more uh, tater salad? Oh,
10: no, not another thing, Mr. Gildersleeve.
9: Now, Miss Amelia, no need to be formal. Just call me Throckmorton.
10: No. All right, Throckmorton.
9: Sounds mighty like music hearing you say it, ma'am. Uh, mind if I sit alongside you here? Uh, no. Oh, that's but... all right. Don't move. <clears throat> Yeah. Excuse me, Miss Amelia, but where, boss, did you put that devil's food cake? Well, I put it right where you... Never mind. Marjorie, have you got a nice wet cloth?
7: Oh, Throckmorton, what a shame. Yeah, that was a darn good cake. Why can't you be more careful where you put your circumference, you... You, you big pudding paunch?
10: Now, Horace Hooker, stop insulting Throckmorton.
9: Oh, I don't mind. Come, Miss Amelia, let's wander down to the pond and look at the water lilies. Be careful, Amelia, don't let the big frog sit on a lily pad. Why, that little, uh, uh, joker.
10: Oh, look, aren't they pretty? Would
9: you like some? I'll wait out and get them for you.
10: Oh, no, Throckmorton, you'll get your shoes wet.
9: Oh, no, I won't. <laughs> I'll just take them off, and my socks, and roll up my trousers. Now, be careful, Uncle Lord. Hey, don't worry. Ooh, the water's cold, isn't it?
5: <laughs> no, Daniel
9: Boone, it's just your feet that are cold. I'll show you, Hooker. Just a second, Amelia. I'll have your bouquet in just a... <laughs>
5: Throckmorton,
10: say something.
7: Can't probably have a frog in his throat.
10: <laughs> Look, the Santa hat's come to the surface. It's drifting away.
7: That's all right. He's probably weaving another one underwater.
5: <laughs> oh, here he comes. Well, thank goodness. Oh! <laughs>
9: Who put that hole there?
5: <laughs>
9: oh, my goodness. I've ruined all my cigars.
5: Well,
7: help him out, Horace. Look at the big flounder flounder. Here, <laughs> Gildy. Take my hand. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Is it very wet in there?
9: <laughs> oh, no, Judge.
5: Come on in. The water's fine. Hey, let go. Ooh.
10: Me. <laughs> oh me. now, boys. That's enough fun for one day. Come on now.
9: Yeah,
5: I gladly am.
10: Sit down here, Uncle. Yeah? Uh? Well, one thing good. It's worse, the cake icing off your trousers. <laughs> Gee, there must be an easier way of doing it than that.
9: <laughs> here, Leroy, please dry off my watch.
7: Okay, I'll wring it out. <laughs> uh, my goodness, give me a towel, someone.
9: Why don't you just shake yourself, you little Airedale?
7: Oh. <laughs> uh, Look at me. I'm a mess.
9: Yeah, you haven't changed a bit, Judge. (laughs)
7: There's a watch, Junk? Cheapers, look at the time.
9: Oh, it's almost time for our train. And the
10: station's a mile away. gather up the picnic things, Leroy. Uh, Where's your coat, Brock Uh, Morton?
9: Coat? I hung it on a limb of a tree while we were playing baseball. Oh, yes, there it is. Well,
10: I'll get it for you. Then we must hurry up. Oh.
9: Uh, What's the matter, Amelia?
10: Look, a bird. It's building a nest in your coat pocket.
9: What's that? (laughs) Let me see. Oh, uh, look, everybody, a bird's building its nest in my coat pocket
10: Oh, how sweet Well, what a pity we have to dispossess her after all her work
7: Well, what are we supposed to be, the FHA? <laughs> Shoo her away and let's get going Oh, Horace, you're too cruel I am not
9: Well, what are you going to do, leave your coat here? Yes, by George, that's exactly what I'm going to do
7: but Uncle, you'll catch cold.
10: No,
9: I won't, my dear the memory of that little mother bird's gratitude will keep me warm.
10: Gee, Aunt, that's the only bird in the country with a double-breasted bungalow.
5: <laughs>
7: All right, Sir Walter Galahad, come on or we miss the train. And help me with our stuff,
10: Amelia. Yes, yes, coming, Horace. Uh, that was a very sweet gesture, Morton. I, I like that very much.
9: Now, now, Amelia, it's nothing that Gary Cooper wouldn't have done.
5: Can you carry the big bag?
9: Yes, yeah, sure. Chief
10: why are you leaving your coat
5: here?
9: Well, my boy, in the first place, it's made a wonderful impression on Amelia. In the second place, the rest of the suit was ruined anyway. And in the third place, that bird that was building the nest was a woodpecker, and I never argue with woodpeckers in the first place. <laughs>
8: Like mumps and measles Hits awfully hard When it hits late in life And Trockmorton P. Gildersleeve Has it bad For the past week Uncle Mort has been Wooing and wowing Amelia Hooker It's reached the stage Where he's writing poetry Now we find The Summerfield Shelley Reciting a sonnet Written especially For the fair Amelia
9: If this were in the days of old And I a knight So brave and bold I'd storm your castle Miss Amelia And on my charger I would steal (laughs) you Do you like that one?
10: Oh, undubitably, Mr. Gilsey.
9: Yeah, thanks, Bertie. Or do you think she'd like this one better? Two eyes of blue, cheeks soft as silk, a skin as white as grade A milk. A neck as graceful as a swan, a step as dainty as a fawn. The girl I mean is quite a looker. Her name is Miss Amelia Hooker.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. Gilsey, it's hard to choose between the two of them. You sure is some versifier.
9: Do you mean versifier?
8: No, it's a fire on account of that hot poetry you write. <laughs> I bet you could get a job poetizing greeting cards.
9: Oh, I suppose I could, but I don't want to lose my immature standing. <laughs> Incidentally, Bernie, don't mention a word about this to anybody, will you please? Oh, no, sir. Uh, I wanted to get your reaction, because I'm going to take Miss Amelia for a stroll through the park tonight and read her 15 or 20 of the poems I've written. <laughs> There's going to be a wee fiddle moon. <laughs>
10: borrow a pan to put under our sofa on account of the fellow she's calling on me tonight is such a drip. If. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. If. How's the big romance between you and Amelia coming along? If.
9: What are you referring to, Dotty?
10: Oh, I heard all about your big moment. It's all over town, like a newspaper in a high wind.
9: Where did you hear this rumor?
10: Well, the operator at the beauty parlor told me, and she had it from one of her customers whose sister-in-law has a maid that works next door to the judge's law clerk, and she got it straight out of Erskine Star's column in the afternoon paper. It what? Mm-hmm. It said, what big businessman, size 48 stub, is, <laughs> is that a way about the charming sister of a prominent jurist? It looks like a romance of April and November. Oh, boom. Uh, What are you thinking about, Throckmorton?
9: Those crickets, Amelia. Listen to them. It's hard to believe that they can do that just by rubbing their hind legs together.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Is that what you
10: were really thinking about?
9: No, Amelia. I was thinking of your lips. Like twin petals of a dewy rose. They... They... Amelia, there's something I must ask you. Yes. Would you give me a... Yes, would you... If you've got a match, my cigar's gone out. Oh, really, Brock
10: Morton, you shouldn't smoke so much.
9: I know it, but when I look at you, my heart's on fire, and I just can't help smoking a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, Amelia, I wrote a poem this afternoon. Would you like to hear it?
10: Oh, yes, I'd be glad
9: to. All right, it goes something like this. If this were in the days of old, and I and night so brave and bold... best what do you want? Excuse me, buddy, but have you got a dive? It, no. Beat it. Can't you see I'm busy? Oh, excuse me. I didn't know you were engaged. We're not engaged. We're just good friends. Go on. Scram. But all I asked for was a dive. Uh, Amelia, do you happen to have change for a quarter?
10: Oh, no. No,
9: I don't want a dive. I, I want a dive.
10: Uh, Throckmorton, I think the gentleman has a cold and is asking for the time.
9: Yeah, that's it. Oh, excuse me. Let's see. It's 9 42. Oh, thank you, Throckmorton. Died for it, too, huh? Well, That'd be dug up pretty tight. Bite if I sit here for a few minutes? It, no, you can have the whole bit. On a wet here anyway. Come on, Amelia, let's stroll across the grass. I still think he's trying to borrow a dime.
10: Oh, now let's forget everything else. It's a grand night for a walk, and uh, you are starting to recite a poem. Oh,
9: yes, but I had such bad luck with the last one, I think I'll try another verse. <clears throat> Since I met you, I've lost all care. I feel like I'm walking on the air. You're not walking on the air, mister. You're walking on the grass. It, so what? I'm a park policeman, seeing it's against the law
7: to trample on the turf, lounge on the lawn, or gamble on the green. Who's gambling?
10: Oh, now, officer, it was purely unintentional. Yeah.
3: Oh, excuse me, I didn't see you,
8: girlie. Well, run
3: along, and from now on, try
9: to keep your father on the straight and narrow path. Bye-bye. <laughs> Why, that flat-headed flatfoot. Why can't people let people own when people are trying to recite poetry to people?
10: Oh, come on off the grass, Throckmorton, and Do let me hear your poem.
9: All right, Amelia. I'll try another one. Let me see. Oh, yes. Two eyes of blue, cheeks soft as silk, a skin as white as great, eh, milk?
7: Well, well, well. Fancy meeting you two in the park.
9: I wonder if Shakespeare had to go through what I have to go through.
7: (laughs) Good evening, Horace.
10: Well, go on with your
9: conversation, Gildy. Don't let me interrupt you. Oh, what's the use? If you'll excuse me, Amelia, I'll run along home now.
10: Oh, but Throckmorton, I wanted to hear the rest of the, uh, you know...
9: Uh, I know. I'm going to lock myself in my room and telephone it to you. (laughs) Goodbye. never felt better, my dear.
10: Why are you making those painful noises? I'm
9: practicing some singing exercises. Don't tell anybody, but tonight I'm going to serenade honey Bun. Uh, I mean Miss Hooker.
10: Oh, <laughs> you've certainly been in there pitching the woo, Uncle. Uh,
9: pitching the what?
10: The woo, swinging a line, making with a heart throb.
9: If, if you're referring to my tender passion for Miss Hooker, Marjorie, yes, I've been giving Cupid the jive. <laughs> <laughs>
10: How's everything going?
9: Not so well. Last night I hit a snag. You did? Uh Uh-huh. The snag's name was Judge Hooker.
10: You didn't actually hit him, did you, Uncle Maude?
9: If I didn't, then why is my mandolin all caved in? I smacked him right in the middle of his veranda.
10: But, But why, Uncle Mort?
9: Well, he made a big fuss just because I was strumming a few tunes to Amelia. Not that it was very late at night. Couldn't have been much later than three. And he came barging out of the house in his nightgown, demanding that I hand over my mandolin. He kept yelling, give it to me, give it to me. So I finally did.
10: You shouldn't have done that, Uncle.
9: I know it. Now he's refused to let me visit his sister. Reminds you of Romeo and Juliet, doesn't it?
10: Mm-hmm. But if the judge has forbidden you to see Amelia, how are you going to serenade her?
9: Well, tonight's his lodge night. He belongs to the Summerfield's nest of the International Order of Hoot Owls. <laughs> In fact, he's the Grand Screech. <laughs> So he should be gone by 8 o'clock.
10: Well, have you phoned to see if Amelia will be home
9: tonight? No, every time I call up, Hooker answers the phone. I'm going to try it again right now. Maybe he's gone out somewhere.
10: But suppose he hasn't.
9: Oh, so I've got a scheme. I'll disguise my voice so he won't recognize me.
7: Uh-oh. Hello? Uh, Hello? Ah, uh, what number this please? Judge Hooker's resident. Oh, George Hookie Pleasant, huh? <laughs> no, this is Judge Horace Hooker. Oh, you Hooker Horsey, huh? <laughs> no good. No, 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 this is Judge Hooker. Now, who's this? You, George Hookie, see? Me, Sammy. <laughs> no, no, who are you? Oh, me know that long time. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name and what do you want? Uh, me, Lee Lee. Only Lily Lee. Lee. Hey, no, thanks. We wash our own hands. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, for corn's sake. I said belly smelly. What are you calling about? Missy Hookie. She home, huh? No, she isn't. Is there any message I can take?
9: No, Judge. Just skip it.
7: (laughs) Gildersleeve. Now what are you going to do, Uncle Moore?
9: I don't give up very easily, Marjorie. Remember, love laughs at locksmiths and jeers at jugheads like the judge. I'm going to send Amelia a box of candy with a message inside. I read that someplace. That should do the trick. Hey, Bertie.
8: Were you calling me, Mr. Gillespie?
9: Yes, Bertie. Are you finished with the dishes yet?
8: I've done the dunking, but the wiping is waiting.
9: I want you to take a package over to Miss Amelia for me. Smuggle it in so her brother doesn't find it, see? Now, do you think you can act as Cupid's messenger in this case?
8: Oh, certainly, Mr. Gillespie. I'm the Cupidest messenger in town. <laughs>
7: late to the meeting. I'm coming, Ralph. After all, they can't start until the grand speech arrives. No, but if you're late, they're liable to elect a new one before you get there. Oh, they couldn't do that. Oh, no. If I remember correctly, that's how you were elected. Yeah, but the first thing I did was to change that rule. Yeah, well, hop in. Wait a second. Someone's coming to the house, I think. Oh, hello, Bertie. Oh, hello, Judge. What have you got there? Something for me? Uh, No, no, sir. Then it must be for Miss Amelia.
8: Yeah, that's it. It's for Miss Amelia.
7: Fine. Just give it to me and I'll take it into her. But I've
8: had strict instructions to put it right in my own hand.
7: She's upstairs and there's no use making her come down to answer the door.
8: I'll take it. I don't know whether that's
7: right for me to do it. Well, just give me one reason why not. Okay, I'll give you a reason, but I have to go home to get it. Fine. Now, just a second. There's no use you lugging that package all the way home and then back here again. Just leave it with me until you come back. All right, forget this. Thanks, Bertie. I'll take good care of it. That's mighty considerate of you, Judge. <laughs> hey, what's the idea? That's Gildersleeve's cook. I've forbidden him to see my sister, and dollars to donuts, this package is something he sent her. So what are you doing? Boiling big Gildersleeve. <laughs> well, 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 chocolates, huh? Have some, Ralph. Thanks. Hey. Oh, look, I know it. Let me see. Listen to this. Dearest darling Moonflower, I've phoned and called to see you all day long. Ah, but in vain. And who has so cruelly kept us apart? Your brother, the little tinker. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong with the S on his typewriter.
5: <laughs>
7: I'll fool him. Tonight, when old Sourpuss is playing Hoot I'll glide beneath your window and let the golden notes of song pour out of my throat. Your fluffums, wuffums.
2: (laughs) You say, Judge, what are you going to do?
7: First, we're going to finish eating this candy. Then I'm going to get Amelia out of the house on some pretext or other. Then you and I are going upstairs and fill every pot, pitcher, and bucket in the (laughs) house with water. Why? Well, when fluffums, wuffums, pours the golden notes of song out of his throat, we're going to pour the water out of the window. (laughs)
9: For goodness sakes, quiet, you musicians. This is supposed to be a serenade, not a stampede. Yeah, quiet, fellas. Now, you boys hide in the bushes while I tiptoe up in the porch. You get it? I'll let you know when I'm ready. Okay, Mr. Gildersleeve. Come on, boys. Take it easy and be quiet, boys.
5: (laughs) Ah, Amelia,
9: light of my life. Listen to my song of love.
5: Oh, just a
9: Is that so? Well, you never touched me. I was here in the port swing all the time. <laughs> yeah,
7: Yeah, but you got the whole band. We're all doused. Now yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it these fellas right from making all that
9: noise. Oh, by the way, Hooker, that's the policeman's band.
7: What?
9: Fix yourself up pretty, Judge. You're about to have visitors. I don't
7: care. <laughs> At least my sister never got to hear you.
9: Oh, no? Who do you think this is sitting in the port swing with me? Rudy Valley? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Gentlemen, this has been our last broadcast before our summer vacation. Before we go, I'd like to express my sincere appreciation to the Kraft Cheese Company for a most pleasant year. Also, my deep thanks to our writer, Leonard Levinson, and to the members of the cast for their able assistance. Walter Tetley, who plays Leroy, my nephew, Lorreen Tuttle, my niece, Marjorie, Lillian Randolph, who's Bertie, Earl Ross as Judge Hooker, Paula Winslow as Dotty Dobson, and William Randolph Mills, our musical director and Cecil Underwood, our producer. I am proud to announce that during the eight weeks we'll be off the air, the United States government will take over our half hour to bring you the Victory Parade. Each of the top NBC shows is contributing one program to this series, so be sure to listen in. I hope you all have a pleasant summer, and now, good night. (laughs)
8: program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to tune in again August 30th at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you're with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor.